We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, Packer fans, and welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, your one-stop for all things green and gold. And, well, the NFL Draft is complete. Day three is in the books, and it has been quite the weekend for for the Packers front office, Packers fans who have gone through every range of emotions, ranging from seething anger to who is that guy and everything in between. And we're here to break it all down, at least break down the six picks that happened on Saturday, day three of that draft from Roger Goodell's basement. My name is Mike Willen. I'm joined by Tyler Grezegork and Matt Freilich. And, and Matt, I'm going to go to you first. I guess, what are your thoughts just, just on day three and what they did? Well, it was nice to finally see a player that like I had at least mocked one time being 
John Runyon. That was nice. That that was it made me feel better about myself and maybe I, I don't know. That that was really my my feedback. And Tyler, what were your thoughts on day three? Yeah, you know, I'm going to echo Matt's sentiment there. It was a little bit reassuring to see John Runyon's name pop up. Uh, maybe, you know, my information wasn't 100% off, maybe 95% off. But at the same time, um, just overall frustrating. You know, I there was no way that I thought Donovan Peoples-Jones was going to be there at 175 when they concluded day two, and I'm like, man, they're screwed. And he's sitting there staring him in the face, and then they come out with a linebacker. And I'm like, no. <laughs> That's just the epitome of the weekend. So, um, yeah, it, overall frustrating, but I think day three was the best of the days in terms of how I felt about what they did. Yeah, I'm kind of with you guys. I, I'm, I'm, I was surprised by everything that went down over the, over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And Saturday, I think it was a little bit more back to the blue collar basics that has been the Packers MO over years and years of drafting linemen in bunches and bringing in big guys. And it's, it's, it, we are seeing the tonal shift to how this team's going to be. And obviously we had three guys who worked out together in, uh, in Kamal Martin, who we'll talk about in a bit. And then Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, they work out together. So they know each other. They're going to come in with that friendship already. And that kind of that bond. And, and there's, there's this new Packer way. It seems like they're, they're going to be going a little bit more away from the pass happy run, spread it out and, and do track meet games. And it's going to be a little more old school, a little more power run zone run. And they're going to rely on on their beef up front, but it's it's I can understand the frustrating and maybe it's just the optimist in me. But I'm I'm interested to see where this goes. And if there if there's a 2020 season, which we all are hoping, it's going to be fascinating to see what this Packers team looks like this year and beyond. But either way, looking at the picks, the Packers made six selections on Saturday on day three. None of them in round four. That was traded up for Jordan Love, so they made their first pick. And 175 in round five, and Tyler can touch on it. They took Kamal Martin, a linebacker out of the University of Minnesota, and I, I heard polarizing things about him. I guess Tyler, what do you know about him, and what are your thoughts on Martin? <sighs> that is, that's my thoughts on Martin. No, I'm just kidding. It, Martin's going to be a developmental guy, special teams player. I think in his rookie year, you're hoping he can come in and. Be productive. He's not necessarily uh, a thumper, but he's he's not really he doesn't really excel at any one thing, and that's why it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around the pick. Um, you know, apparently the Packers scouts said that they clocked him in at somewhere in the four fives, uh, low four sixes, which is pretty good for a middle linebacker. Um, I, I it'll be interesting to see what kind of a role, if any, he can carve out for the. For the 2020 seasons, most likely going to be sitting behind a guy like an Oren Burks and definitely behind Christian Kirksey and trying to make his name on special teams. So we'll see what he can do, but I think that he's just developmental at best. And Matt, what are your thoughts on, on Kamal Martin? I like the type of player Martin is. I like what he could do, the versatility, but I don't know if the... I mean, just the college career. Didn't play a lot. Only had a few, you know, handful of starts because of injuries and like, like Tyler said, I don't really know what he does that's all that great. Um, again, not a thumper. I think he's gonna, if he's gonna be something inside, it's gonna be kind of supplemental role to Christian Kirksey, like we saw with like BJ Goodson or Antonio Morrison, where he's just there absorbing bodies. Um, the one positive I'll take away is that he does, 
like Tyler said, seen developmental. He has raw talent, and he's versatile. I think that helps a lot within this defense. They start playing sub-package. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. But I, I, I think my goal going into this draft overall was to get two day-one starters, and I don't know if that happened. And maybe there's a guy down the list here we get to the other five, but that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Martin, who was on honorable mention all Big Ten last year, uh, 66 tackles, forced a couple of fumbles, got a couple interceptions, uh, but he did have that knee injury, but it sounds like he, he's going to be healthy for the start of camp, and and will injuries have been a part? It's, it's interesting to see because, yeah, everything I've read is he's got, he's got good speed, he's pretty fearless, but there's some uh, mental things to get through as far as diagnosing, and that comes with, that comes with getting on the field, especially for a linebacker. You need to be on there to understand how to adjust to whatever the offense is doing, but it's, it's, you're right, it's a developmental guy, it's going to be a special team guy, probably a start, but I think the upside is there, because I know a lot of people said the same things. He's not the same player, but people said a lot of stuff about Devin Bishop that was similar, that he's not going to be able to come in and play a starting role. But there, down the down the line, we, we could see Martin, but 6'3", 240, if he, runs, if he is running in the 4'5s, that's a good balance, and the Packers like good athletes, they always have, and especially under Brian Gutekunst, they enjoy guys who can really move. And I think Martin could be that potential guy, but there's again, again, with a lot of these picks, a lot of questions, and there's a lot to kind of to see what the future holds. But the, moving on to round six, they made three tack, three picks in a span of seventeen picks, and they all went with, in the same about three yard stretch, and that's all offensive line, all interior offensive line. The first one at pick one ninety two, the thirteenth pick of the sixth round, they took John Runyon Jr who's listed as a guard out of Michigan. He played left tackle the past couple years, was one of the better ones, did probably did the best out of anyone against Chase Young in the past year, as far as like what they're what the tape does. Six four, three oh six. Broad jump of 107 inches, which is pretty good for an offensive lineman. And if he is anything like his dad was, who was John Roy, who played for the Eagles for a long time, there's gonna be a lot of nasty in that game. So I guess Matt will go right back to you. What did you see from Runyon, and what do you think his fit's going to be in Green Bay? Well, I like Runyon as a talent. I mean, obviously it was, became a pattern in the draft that there were just so many guys that had um, lineages from their fathers, brothers, uncles, cousins. They kept talking about it. It was, it was awesome to see. And John Runyon's. I'm, I'm glad the Packers got a pedigree like that. Uh, I think he's going to be able to come in and compete for one of the uh, private tackle position next to Elton Jenkins, and there's going to shore up that interior of the line. Um I like it. That, that this was the one pick where I was actually like excited and giddy about it. It, it, it I was optimistic and it, that I like that was my favorite pick, honestly, um, of the draft. Like gut reaction. Absolutely, and uh, of course, Runyon was taken with the pick that was Trevor Davis when they sent. So they got it from the Las Vegas Raiders. I guess Tyler, what are your thoughts on the guy that has been mocked to Green Bay multiple times, and according to our very own Ross Uglum? is the ultimate Packer draft pick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really is, though. He's high high RAS, so super athlete kind of guy. He slid around the offensive line, can probably play all five if you absolutely need to in a pinch. Probably don't recommend playing him out at tackle, but if he absolutely needs to, he could. He could slide out there. Obviously, that's where he played in college. Um, but he's most likely going to compete, I probably would say, at one of the guard spots. Um and maybe if he really makes a push, he can push Elton Jenkins to center, and he can start at the guard spot alongside of him. 
so there, there's a lot of options and a lot of possibilities with what with what he can do if he really comes into camp and shows up, which there will be an opportunity to with the rumored departure of Lane Taylor, um, Rick Wagner not being a long-term option at right tackle. There's going to be a place for him to make an impact if he's if he's productive at camp. And that's the question I was going to ask because when you, you, you talk about Lane Taylor, with drafting Runyon and then two other linemen, which we'll talk about, does that does this – mean Lane Taylor will be cut probably in the next couple days, maybe the next couple weeks? Because is, is there a spot for him anymore? With, with bringing in three guys, bringing in Rick Wagner, you, you got to think they, they're probably still high on guys like Yosh Nijman and Alex Light and Cole Madison if he can get healthy, and they brought back Lucas Patrick to a contract extension. Is this, it, it, it Does this officially signify the end of Lane Taylor? I don't think it does, personally, because the rosters are expanded right now. So maybe when we get closer to camp and you start cutting down bodies, if they really need that, I think it's like $5 million that they're going to save from Lane Taylor. If they really need that money, then sure, move on if you feel like that's the right right call. But I feel like there's got to be a market out there post-draft for a team that missed out on a starting guard uh, or just a, ba- a quality backup offensive lineman if the Packers really feel the need to move on. I don't, I kind of don't want them to at this point because it gives them that extra, secu- extra security blanket. Um in case Wagner doesn't pan out, you can try and do some different things there. I would like to keep Taylor if possible, but I don't think his days in Green Bay are numbered any longer. I feel like if they were going to move on from him, it would have been today. It would have been like the deadline to do that, and they uh, they didn't do that. So I think he's going to be on the roster at least through camp. Uh, maybe he's one of the preseason cuts or trades. I would. I I, I got to kind of disagree because I'm looking at it from last year, like. They did the, <clears throat> a very similar thing with Mike Daniels. Had a veteran on the interior of the D-line. They drafted Kinsley Kiki. They drafted Rayshon Gary. And you thought they would have got rid of him right away, but they kind of hung on for a little while. So it's like, I would like him to stay on the team to get through camp. But like, didn't they cut Mike Daniels in May? Something like that. So it just didn't really, it didn't, it didn't really all add up at that point. So I, I don't know. I, I would like to see him on the team and compete. Don't get me wrong, but it just doesn't seem like he's in the cards. That's very. I'm I'm torn on it. So I guess we'll we'll have to see what's going on. But uh, yeah, Lane, Lane Taylor is one of the bigger questions coming out of this draft with the Packers drafting back to back to back linemen in the sixth round. Speaking of moving on to pick 208, they go right to the center spot out of Oregon, and it's Jake Hansen, who is six four three oh three, four year starter, had some pretty pretty good uh, stats as far as I think he only gave up with two sacks and only had like four penalties. He did get a targeting call at one point, but he's a guy where he started 12 games as a freshman, 13 as a sophomore, 12 as a junior, and I think he started all of them last year as well. And Oregon had a pretty good offensive line, so and he's played 4,000-some snaps in college. So he's a guy who has been able to stay on the field, be able to do what he can, but he seems a little either stiff or smaller for what you'd expect compared to what we've seen from Lindsley over the past few years. I guess, Matt, what have you seen from Jake Hansen? Like you said, Mike, really good offensive line at Oregon. Was able to obviously block for Justin Herbert. And uh amount of snaps was, what was it? Like, yeah, you said 4,000-some. And didn't give up a sack in like a 27 or, yeah, 2,700 consecutive snaps. He didn't give up a, a sack either during the, that, that streak. So it's just solid dude. I was, I was, I was... Happy to see them draft a center that they could probably sub in for Corey Lindsley. Um, it, it, 
there was that rumbling going around if they would get rid of him. I don't think, obviously, you know, I think Lindsay's still going to make the roster, obviously, but it's nice to have at least a guy in, in the wings um, that can learn and then be able to be the, you know, the next guy up. Yeah, Tyler, what do you think on, on Hanson? Is, is, the Packers have history with late-round centers who have been successful, whether it's going back to Scotty Wells or even Corey Lindsley. J.C. Treader was a mid-to-late-round was a mid to late round guy. Could Hanson be that next late-round center who finds his finds his way? Uh, I mean, potentially. Yeah, and Lindsley's only got one year left on his deal. I think that's honestly where the viewpoint is here, is you're really looking to kind of give yourself options when it comes to time to handing out that extension for Corey Lindsley. Um, you know, evaluating not only Lindsley, but Billy Turner's future on this team after the following season. You know, there, there's going to be questions along that interior, uh, offensive front. And I think that they did a good job today of at least providing themselves with some, with some options and some time to evaluate those options prior to having to make a critical decision. And I agree. And, and, and I think, I think the biggest thing to help them is, is the durability of Hanson, the guy who, who is, is, has been a center and has played a ton. He's been on the field. I think the only game he missed was when he missed a half for getting that targeting penalty, I think, and blocking for pass blocking a ton, I think, is going to help him a lot. But uh, but he did fall the 208 for a reason, so we'll see what the future holds. That was the pick for, I think, Reggie Gilbert was Hanson from Tennessee. So uh, Gutekunst doing more late-round wheeling and dealing, I think, helps there. And then the very next pick at 209... The Packers went right back to the offensive line and went right back to the Big Ten, taking Simon Stepaniak, a guard from Indiana. He has been the right guard there for a while. And this guy's coming off any injury, but he, what, when I listened a little bit of his conference call after the after he was picked, and he says he's rehab is going well, he's going to be a good deal for camp. This guy is, is a monster. 6'4", 313, 37 bench reps at the Combine, and he made him look pretty easy. He's got some work to do as far as He's a little stiff in his lower body. He's a, he's a power road grader type guy. But, again, developmental guy and finding guys who are strong, It you can never go wrong with it. And I guess, Tyler, what are your thoughts on and what have you seen from St- Simon Stepaniak? Exactly what you said. He's a road grader. Uh, I, I kind of think it kind of fits the model of what we are thinking that the future of this team could be offensively, which is going to be run first, uh, protect Rodgers that way, and then just kind of have him supplement uh, however that however you need be. So if that's really the direction, then this is a great pick. Uh, low risk, high reward type thing. I don't know if he's going to be able to make a huge impact, you know, but at the same time, um, options. You're giving yourself options. I think that that's huge here. Um, you, like you said, they've had success of developing these late round offensive linemen. Um, maybe maybe he's one of them. He, when you watch the, the highlights, he's just a mean dude. He's got a nasty streak in him, and uh, you, that's never a bad thing in, in, in a guard. So I think that I think that adding these guys for the competition on the interior is just going to make all those guys better. So absolutely, a Packers stockpiling interior offensive linemen like the Bears are stocking tight ends. Uh, Matt, what have you? What are your thoughts on Stepaniak? I love the guy. I mean, the, the 37 bench, if no one's watched that, please go watch it. It took, like, it took him until he got to about 25 to actually thought that it was like, he was enduring. He was just dominating it. I, I, I can't imagine it being any easier. Um, that being said, I just love the versatility from him, right? Like, he can play right guard, he can play left guard, 
Um, for some reason, CBS has him on my computer as a tackle. So, like, he's going to be able to go wherever they, the Packers really want. And it seems like that seems to be a trend under Brian Gutekunst. Rick Wagner's got that versatility. Billy uh, Turner's got that versatility. Obviously, uh, you know, the other linemen they've drafted in the last two years too. So it's who's let's just let's just get as many offensive linemen like you said, Mike, and see who can uh, just be the best five. Absolutely, and I remember yeah when they talked to him after he gets picks, the panic said that the Green Bay told him he's going to be a guard. Uh, he did kick inside for most of his career, but you know when you you have the three rookies now that they drafted on Saturday. You got Bakhtiari, you got Lane Taylor, you got Jenkins, Lindsley, Turner, Wagner, Light, Nijman. Uh, Leglue, there, there's the the Madison. The, the Packers have do have options. They they now have a lot of beef, and they hope I hope their catering is ready for training camp. But they 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 are definitely building within. And and Tyler can touch on that. They're most likely to be a run first offense. And TJ Lang said the same thing um, midway through the sixth round, like what he's expecting. The Packers going to be a run first offense, setting up a lot of play action, much like the Shanahan way. And they're they're gonna and that's gonna make Aaron Rodgers even more dangerous. And if some of these linemen can become steady starters again, that'll help be able to bring in weapons down the line with spend a little extra money. Let you keep a guy like David Bakhtiari, let you keep a Devontae Adams, let you keep Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones. And so they're they're gonna depend a lot, I think, on these 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 linemen to step in early, step in and, and make this team, and eventually become starters. Whether it's in 2020 or 2021 and slowly work their way onto the field. But that concludes round six. So the Packers took three offensive linemen in round six, and then we get to round seven, where we had the one of the real picks that really just kind of came out of nowhere. At pick 236, they took Vernon Scott, a safety out of TCU, who most most places didn't have him ranked. I know I think Dave Brugger had him as a 61st safety. He's he's a guy who says he... He says he thrives on versatility. He's he's played slot. He's played perimeter. He's played safety. His defining play is a pick six of Jalen Hurts against Oklahoma last year, which made a, he made a pretty nice play on. But this pick, and Larry McCarron talked about it on Packers.com as well, this screams special teams. This screams a gunner, a guy who's going to come in, run down the field and hit things, and now and worry about consequences later. And maybe he can eventually become that maybe that Raven Green type guy. But th- this one was a little bit out of nowhere, and... I guess Tyler, what do you what have you seen? What do you know about Vernon Scott? I know as much as you know. I I had never heard of the player, unfortunately, until his name popped up on the TV. Um, and so I'm I'm learning about Vernon Scott. If if that's the case, if he's a versatile guy, I I literally have nothing about him. I don't think there's like measure the metrics out there about for for him. I just. I don't know what they saw, but obviously they saw something in him that they wanted to draft him, and they didn't want him to get to free agency, so they took him in the seventh round, and if that's what they want to do with him is throw him on special teams, I don't know why you're drafting special teamers, but that's fine. So it, it, we'll see. We'll see what they plan to do with Vernon Scott. Yeah, he's listed as 62206, and I remember a long time ago the Packers drafted a corner named Mike Hawkins. Who, who was who wasn't Mel Kiper had never heard of a player, and you know when you stump a guy like Kiper, you're kind of you kind of get there. We talked a lot about uh, how complicated TCU's defensive scheme can be under Gary Patterson, and he and he talks about he talked about about how that's going to help him that he can he's he knows to communicate a lot of communication stuff he knows how to kind of balance things and. I, I think this is this is a lottery ticket. Seventh round picks are usually lottery tickets, 
and Scott could maybe could be a guy who stays in the league for a while doing all the little things. I guess, Matt, do you know any more than we do about this guy? No, next to nothing. Like, I was trying to find up his uh, relative athletic score. He's not even on that website. I mean, 6'2", 200 seems I – mean, just doesn't seem like the body type that I, I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be more of a thicker dude that could lay wood like Raven Green, and that that's exactly the comparison I could think of. Um, so I'm glad you put that out there, Mike. But a special teamer, like I, go out and get go 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 grab another offensive line at this point. Make it four in a row. Like why go grab this random safety that was probably never going to see the field? Like I get the let them compete in the back end, and they got some guys that are trying to, to fill that role. But it's I mean I think this pick uh, just was the the cherry on top for all Packer fans just observing it and be like who who like how how did this how did we come to need a safety but not a receiver yeah that's the question we'll get to in a little bit and there were some interesting things that were said during the post draft press conferences from Brian Gutekunst about the wide receiver position and why there wasn't one taken among the 37 or whatever were that were drafted in this draft well, we still have one more pick to cover, and that's at pick 242, the final pick in the draft class. I think this was a Ty Montgomery trade pick from Baltimore from last year, and that's Jonathan Garvin, a pass rusher, edge, defensive end, linebacker, whoever you want to call him. He's that guy from Miami. And this is a guy who, surprised that he fell, he had pretty good numbers. He, he's got some pretty good things on tape. He's got solid uh, testing numbers around a 482, 64. Uh, started for three years, I guess. Matt, what do you what do you know about Garvin? And are you surprised that he was there at two forty two? Yeah, I was a little surprised because that was actually a name I was seeing around the third, fourth, fifth round doing mocks. And then when I saw, uh, you know, Ross had noticed it, and a few other people mentioned like we just higher ranked on their board. So it was like, okay, well, it sounds like the Packers got a steal. Um, you know, at least at least strictly off value and. Um, he definitely can bend, get around the edge. Um, kind of, I, this might be a terrible comparison. You guys can tell me, uh, but Kabir Baja Biamila, I don't know if that, it's just long guy, kind of can move quick. I don't, quick feet. So we'll see. Um, again, definitely going to have a chance to compete and we'll, we'll see if he's on the, you know, the final roster or makes a practice squad. Well, absolutely. And I guess one thing that stuck out to me was in 2018 when he was there, his sophomore year, he started all 13, 17 tackles for loss. Five pass deflections, two fumble recoveries. He had five sacks again last year, two more forced fumbles, uh, four-star recruits. Uh, Lance Zealand's compared him to a Kamoko Ture, who, who's been a, it seems, I remember he's been a pretty decent player so far. And so it's a trait space type of guy, but it seems like, again, like a, a lottery ticket. If he can be your fourth pass rusher, I think if you can somehow find a way to let him refine his traits and, and work with, with Gary and the Smiths and what they have, that shapes up as a very versatile quartet. I guess, Tyler, what do you know about Garvin? No, I think you're exactly right. It's, he can play he can play standing up in a 3-4. He can put his hand in the dirt. It's kind of whatever you need him to do. He fits exactly what I think the apparent Packers mold has become for a defensive end or edge player, which is elite athlete who who really can do either one. They're not really locked into one position. Um, so versatility and uh, elite elite athleticism, um, that's what this guy is. I think he had an 8.92 uh, RAS, so it makes sense there in terms of what they typically do. And, you know, they like to take these flyers at the back end of the 7th, 6th round on these defensive end 
uh, players, defensive tackles, just athletes. And so it's fine. You just put him in the group. He competes. Uh, they need a fourth edge player, whether that's him, whether that's somebody that's not on the team right now or somebody we just don't know about that's sitting on the roster who's planning to compete. I, I don't know. But they there's an open spot on the roster for somebody like that. And, you know, we were talking about special teams uh, for Scott. This is the type of player you put on special teams, a guy that you actually have a plan for, but then you need somewhere to put him in the meantime. You don't just draft the guy for special teams. So he could come in and compete for that fourth edge spot and at worst be a uh, athletic special team player. No, I agree. And that, that's the thing is because when you factor in, you have, you have your top three uh, rushers now lined up. You have the Smiths, you have Gary, and odds are all three going to be on the field a lot. But then you have Garvin, you have Randy Ramsey, you got Tim Williams. There's there's guys to kind of battle for that fourth spot. And Garvin's got the nickname Spider for a reason. And they had they I remember again I, I listened to a little bit of his his conference hall afterwards. He talked about they talked about because of his length and because he's hard to knock over. And so if if you, if you, if you can't get him to the ground and he's able to keep fighting and keep pushing forward, that's all the more useful of a player that makes offensive lines have to stay on him and not go to that next level. And so guys like that, will, I think, will always find a spot. And I I think outside of Runyon, and, and I personally love the A.J. Dillon picking around too, I think those guys are, are, are probably Runyon and Garvin are probably the two best picks from from what is a very confusing draft class. And I know there's going to be there's a lot of consternation. There's going to be, and I'm fine with that. But I, I, I want to see how this team develops, and I'm interested to see how these guys work. Because this class, and it's going to start from Thursday night, is going to define Brian Goodkins and Matt LaFleur whether they want it to or not. So I guess as we wrap up the draft recap, uh, Tyler, I guess, do you, do you agree with that, that this this will be the defining class for those guys? Oh, most certainly, you know, especially DeGuara. It's not only Jordan Love, it's, it's the Josiah DeGuara pick because I think that was a, a reach in, in every way you look at it. They probably could have snagged him at the back end of the fourth. Well, which you traded up, you traded your fourth to, to go get Jordan Love. So the point is, there's two players, I think, that are most polarizing, or three, probably, the top three. There's just huge question marks about what they mean in terms of the actual team building. So if those picks pan out, then fine, you're, you're golden. But if Love fails, Dylan fails, DeGuara fails, my goodness, you didn't get a receiver, and you took one of those guys. This, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to live with uh, for for quite a while. But thankfully, we've got three years before we can actually really truly judge uh, judge that. So well, I'm, I'm willing to to wait before I deliver that final judgment. But it certainly um, certainly will leave a stamp on both of their ten years. Absolutely, I, I remember five years ago now after it first happened. I remember there's a lot of praise in 2015. There's a, there a lot of people who, who talked that class up, and we know what happened afterwards. And the the best the, that that class is the reason why people drink, and so we move on from that. But you talk about Deguara, and after the draft, they had a conference call complete with music with Brian Gutekunst, and then later Matt Lafleur. And Lafleur would not stop talking about Deguara. Uh, the, from from Andy Herman and both and Ross Uglum, they both talked about how much. The tone that Matt Luther took talking about Deguara was how he talked about Elton Jenkins last year. He seemed super excited, super geeked out, and they talked about using him in the use check role as that H back kind of hybrid type guy. 
And so if if he's that excited, I wonder how they're going to use him. But, Matt, I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, did, did you get a chance to listen to or see any of the conference call between the two? And if you did, what did you think? Yeah, I tuned in like a minute late, and I was listening to it. And the only reason I tuned in actually was because I heard there was just some elevator music going on. I'm like, how how unbearable actually is this? So I went ahead and listened, and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I can't listen to this at all. And I saw I was just waiting on Twitter, like, wanting to see when it was fixed and resolved, and it sounded like they were going to fix it. And then when he came back on the call, it was worse. So I'm like, I'm not going to really waste my time. But your, your cliff notes are exactly what I came up with. Uh, they, they like the tight end of Cincinnati, and that makes uh, – I guess that makes – I don't know about you, Mike. Tyler and I aren't in that camp, so maybe you can uh, break up that between us. About sorry, say that again. About the Gora? We're, we're, we're just not the biggest fans. I think as uh, maybe you might be, or uh, well, definitely Lafleur and Goody. Uh, I don't know if it's me having a fondness for when I was younger of Chris Cooley when he was playing under Mike Shanahan as 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 the tight end H back type guy who was really productive for them, mm-hmm. and and watching a little I've seen of Gora at Cincinnati. Uh, he, he strikes me as a guy who can be that versus he's more well-rounded guy. Like Tyler said earlier, he's a guy who will, yeah, he, we can agree. He was a reach. They said they had the, him the highest on the board, which is interesting, but if they can have him in that dual set with, with Sternberger, that provides a lot of seam ability and a lot of versatility out there for the tight end group. And I, if there's a reason he, he broke Brent Selleck's record at Cincinnati. Uh, there's a reason why he is seen as as the player that he is, and there's first there's a reason why Matt Lafleur is excited, and and we're on this podcast, but those guys are the guys who are studying this film for months at a time. They are the guys who've done all the homework on this, and whether whether we agree with it or not, we we these are these are no Packers, and so I hope the best. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, and but to hear your head coach that excited gives me a little more hope than there might have been Friday night. I gotta throw one thing in here. I actually I remember this tweet, and I went back through. It'll actually be posted the same day this podcast goes live. Uh, a year to the date, and it was, uh, was obviously going to work on Friday after the first round. It was I said uh, from last year, confused by the race on Gary Pick and a trade up for Darnell Savage. Never thought we would be the first. He would be the first safety off the board. But here I am, about to go to work at six thirty a.m., and that's the front office making moves. So like, clearly I was wrong. I hope I'm wrong again. Like, I hope I can reflect back on it and see the, say the same thing. It just, I didn't expect Darnell Savage to do as good as he did. I expect Gary to do a little bit better, but they, they know they, they get paid to do what they do and we get, you know, paid to do podcasts. Absolutely. And, and of course the big, I guess, monkey in the honor backs is the lack of a wide receiver pick. And that caused basically an explosion on social media. Uh, that I've very rarely seen. It's it is impressive in some ways and terrifying in others. But they asked Brian Gutekunst about that, and he talked about towards the end of the draft there wasn't a great opportunity for a player to make an impact on our roster this year. That's a direct quote. And whether he thought maybe Mims would fall further, he he almost did there in it because it seemed like, and I think you guys both brought this up on Twitter earlier, is that it seemed like every time that you're getting closer and closer to the Packers pick. Within the like the last ten picks, there was always a run on receivers. It was creepy how how like every round there was always a run right before the Packers pick, and that took a lot of talkies off the board before they could get to their pick. And that 
and obviously like guys like Duvernay went a couple picks before, Mims went a couple picks before, it, uh, Hightower went not long before. There's there's a lot of those things where it seemed like just nothing went the way Packers' way as far as receivers goes. But it also shows Brian Kuzmian showing confidence in his guys, whether it's Funchess, Quinnemi uh, St. Brown, MVS, uh, Kumaro, uh, Reggie Begleton. He, he seems to think highly of these guys, and uh, it sounds like Matt LaFleur does as well. So I guess, Tyler, what do you make of those quotes from Brian Gutekunst? You know, we talked about it earlier in the offseason. Uh, there's four guys competing for one spot. That's the number two wide receiver spot. You've got Equinemius St. Brown, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and now Devin Funches, assuming he passes his physical still. Those guys are all going to be competing for one spot. So, in a way, I understand it. Now, it's really interesting to, to immediately reflect back and think about how the Jordan Love pick really shaped this entire draft. Because let's say they trade back. Next thing you know, they're able to take a T. Higgins or something like that in the second round, and this draft just completely changes. And so it, I think that they knew what they were doing when they took Jordan Love. I think that when that initial run of wide receivers uh, with, I think it was concluded with uh, Ayuk at 25 or something, I, I, I think yeah. that's who it was. That was like the first run of wide receivers. I think at that point, that's when they were like, all right, we're punting. Because he said immediately, we didn't, there was no guys in the second to third rounds that they, that they felt could even make the roster this year, which means that they think super highly of the guys they have on the roster. He's either feeding us a line of crap or he genuinely believes this. The fact that him and LaFleur are on the same page and they're both equally as excited about the guys that they did get, the guys that they're able to bring in for this offense, that gives me a little bit of comfort. But at the same time, I'm really hoping that Equinemius St. Brown, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, you know, specifically one of those three can step up next year because they're going to need it. They're going to need it in a bad, bad way. I agree, and and I I, I posited this uh, Friday night and also throughout Saturday as well, because I can't get, I, I'm not going to stop with the comparisons. So I think they're going the Mike Shanahan route with the way this team is going. But Aaron Jones can line up in the slot. He he can they can run him. They can run him routes like crazy. He can he can catch seventy passes next year, and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Tyler Irvin can can go out there and catch some passes. Jamal Williams can catch. They they've talked a lot about AJ Dillon being able to catch. So there's. I think they're. I think they think they. I think they have more options than, than than even they think they do. It's just it's a lot of it is unproven, and we don't we don't know. And the fact that this i the team's identity seemed to have changed in a three day stretch, going from what we saw into the McCarthy years of we're gonna pass forty times a game and we're gonna try and score fifty and we're gonna beat you fifty to thirty five to maybe we will win games 24 to 17 and we're going to we're going to grind the clock out and we're going to make we're going to make you earn it and we're going to and this going to keep our defense fresh too there it's it's just a complete switch of what we're used to and it's going to take a lot us included a lot of people time to adjust to it and this draft is the first step to that a lot of questions hopefully we'll have some answers by the time the fall hits but i guess as we slowly start to wrap things up here uh, this day 3 recap uh, Matt, we'll go to you first. I guess, what are you looking for now as we get closer through the summer and then into potential for camp in the fall? 
I'm going to look for well, hopefully there's a season. Everything's on time. That's first and foremost. Second, I guess just to look at Lafleur in the front office with Gutekunst to keep improving the roster. Uh, they've been adding undrafted free agents, a few guys I've liked, uh, one being Stanford Samuel. And I think they're just going to be continue to add um, players. And hopefully once they're able to everyone get together, they can uh, whittle it down to the proper proper players that need to be on the team. And Tyler, I'll ask you the same thing. As we wrap up day three and the, and the draft concludes, what have you taken from it? And what are you looking forward to as we get closer to the 2020 season? Uh, I think I'm looking most forward to what they do with veteran players. I don't think that they're done adding to this roster yet. Um, I'm really curious to see what, what they have in store in that regard. Whether that means trading for a Curtis Samuel, who I think would fit into this offense like a glove, or or going out and just kind of scouring whoever's left in the veteran wide receiver free agent market, or even adding another tight end if they feel that way. Like I, I'm not sure what the future holds, the immediate future. I just don't think that they're done adding players yet. So I'm curious to see that, and then I'm really curious to see this wide receiver battle on camp because it's going to be quite a spectacle. Yeah, that, that's fair. I guess for me, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to see what the camaraderie of this team's going to be because the pick of Jordan Love and with guys coming up on contract years, a whole wrench has been thrown into this team. And obviously three of the draft picks are already close and they know each other, but with players who, there's no offseason program now, so these guys aren't going to see each other in person until August probably. And that's being that's being hopeful. So there's going to be some interesting ways to, I guess, build bonds on this team and become a one team that, that made them so powerful. Last year, last year, we talked a lot, week after week about how unified this team was and how we hadn't seen that in a long time. And they need, they're going to need that again this year. And so whether it's bringing in veteran guys, whether it's getting these rookies going quickly, uh, and it's going to start with conversations, whether it's via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever, how, how is this team going to mesh with these new faces, with, the, with some of the veterans who have come in, like Kirksey and Wagner and Funchess, and how is that going to balance with the, the standard guard of, of Rodgers and Adams and the Smiths and... And Jair Alexander, like, how is this all going to fit? And then, and then, how is Matt Lafleur going to balance all this? Because he, he, the way he sounds excited, he seems excited for this, and you can tell he had a big influence on the on the picks that were made. And whether that continues is going to, and like we said earlier, that's going to define this franchise for at least the next five years. How how what happened these last few days is going to shape the Green Bay Packers. For the end and the post Rogers era, whether we whether we agree with it or not, that's we can't. That's what's going to happen. That's just kind of how it is at this point. So it's it's been a interesting few days. It's been a very trying few days in many different ways, and it's an an enticing future for the Packers, filled with questions, but hopefully more answers as we get closer. So as we wrap things up, uh, Matt Freilich, what are you working on anything now as the draft concludes, and where can people find you? I just feel like it was just a, a run to getting through this weekend. It feels good to settle in, but um, everything still, we'll get back to our normal Pack-A-Day podcast schedule. It'll be fun to get back with the old gang. And um, also uh, just contributing right now to PackersWorldWide.com, a uh, site I just started with another gentleman, two other guys in the last uh, last month. Um, Dan and I are still doing our Run It Pack YouTube series. We're simulating, and we're uh, putting Jordan Love in there this week. So 
he's uh he's taken the he's passing off the clipboard to Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers giving him his helmet. So that'll be interesting to see. And then that's about it. What uh what about you guys? What Tyler? What do you got going on? Uh, I'm probably gonna take some time off from content for a little bit uh, from Twitter too. Um, but I'll probably be shifting my focus to the dynasty fantasy football stuff. So I'll be over at dynastynerds.com. Uh, probably starting in May at some point, early June, I'll really start cranking out that stuff. Um, they're, they're already starting to put out rookie mock drafts. So if you're in dynasty fantasy football, go, go check that out. I know I have, I have one that starts tomorrow. So I'm not getting away from this anytime soon, but, um, I'm always on Twitter at Tyler underscore Grez and, uh, don't, don't be scared to interact. Absolutely, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Mike Wenlins. I'm still working on some stuff for Dairyland Express and trying to spread my batch of optimism toward the world because I'm kind of annoying that way, but I'm, I'm hoping for the best. But either way, uh, Matt, thanks for joining us also these past few weeks as we got ready for the draft. It's been a blast. It's 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 always enjoyable having that third person with us, and and uh, enjoy your old team, but hopefully we'll be able to do this again some more soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me. It was a gr- great time. Absolutely, and Tyler, again, thanks for everything you do. Great work, and enjoy the the warmth of Arizona as we stay up here in Wisconsin and get used to however life is at this point. It's getting a little too but hot it, now, just a little bit. <laughs> and that's that's what air conditioning is for. But either way, two hundred dollar electricity bills with the air conditioning, so it's you know it's give and take. It's give and take. Fair enough. Well, that being said, that'll wrap things up from day three of the NFL draft. Packers made six picks, most of them on the offensive side of the ball as they wrap up their nine-person 2020 NFL draft class. So again, find us wherever podcasts are found. You can find the Packaday Podcast wherever that wherever they will be. Also on Twitter, at Packaday Podcast, and follow all of our great contributors here as well. So for Matt Fralick and Tyler Grizzik-Ork, this is Mike Wendland saying it so long for now. And whatever you think about the draft... Let's look forward to the 2020 season, and of course, and as always, Go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.